This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Father Richard Kunz along with Cindy Jennings coming to you from the beautiful yes. Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota on the campus of Stella Mars Academy, St. James Campus. We are going to have a, another author as a guest, as I said before the break, Kristen Van Uden. Is, did I say that cr- right, Kristen? Van Uden. Okay, all right. Thanks. So, uh, Kristen, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself personally first. was really conceived earlier in my life, so I went to college to study history and Russian, and I have always been fascinated by totalitarianism and particularly its relation to the Church and persecution of Catholics, and was finding that this topic was not often talked about. We would hear about the Holocaust and those horrors of the 20th century, but when it came to the persecution under the Soviet Union and other communist states, that was not really something that there was a huge body of literature on. So I studied this pretty early on. Um, <clears throat> I began interviewing people who had survived communism while I was an undergraduate. Uh, then I went to grad school at the College of William and Mary and studied Soviet propaganda there. So this has kind of been a project, a lifetime in the making. I work at Sofia Institute Press um, as an author spokesperson. So usually I'm on the radio talking about other authors' books uh. who are either dead or can't speak English or <laughs> otherwise cannot be available to do their own book tours. But today we're talking about mine. So um, you, so you I, work for Sophia Press. I do. Yep. So I'm I mean, you of course, of, of course, you're going to get your book published through them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, it's not like the bosses of of Sophia were going to say, "Well, Kristen, we're just not going to publish yours." Of course, they're going to publish your book. They could be like, "Oh, I could <laughs> threaten to go to another publisher." Or something, yes, right? exactly. <laughs> Good. You have to use your talent. For uh, yes, exactly. All right. Well, no, that's great. So, so tell. So, so now the book is coming out shortly. That you said that off the air, like in November. Mm-hmm. In November, yep. All right. So, um, what what draws you into the? Uh, so you're very interested in this topic. What what dr- draws you into that topic? Really, I think it was a, a divine calling. Like I cannot explain it because people always ask me, "Oh, are you from an Eastern Bloc country, or did your family escape communism?" And no, they did not. So I think really the through line here that draws me to this topic is that I'm very interested in martyrdom. So I take as my patron saints many martyrs. So St. Catherine of Alexandria, for example, is one of my favorites. She was an early uh, Roman martyr. And I am just always blown away and inspired by saints who gave everything. And the modern equivalent of these great persecutions that occurred in the Roman Empire really is what happened under communism, and it's, it rivals even that persecution in just its totality and the overwhelming nature of it. And what I found is that a lot of the stories, I do speak to people who had their lives risked every day, and many who went to prison um, and were risking real red martyrdom, but also white martyrdom. And that's something I think is quite relevant to us today, especially in the West, is that oftentimes we won't be asked to die for our faith necessarily, but we will be asked to die to self every day and to give up um, opportunities and professional opportunities, things like that, and status in the world. And really, this death by a thousand cuts also is its own martyrdom. And white martyrdom is something that we often forget about because it's under the surface. It just, we, we kind of get used to it or 
we don't really engage in that war every day. But the the wide swath of people that I interviewed that experienced both white martyrdom and almost red martyrdom um, was inspiring to me to be able to integrate that into my own life as a Catholic in, you know, a pretty hostile environment of, of the modern West. Well, it, why did com- why did communists per- persecute the church so harshly? So communism is a totalitarian ideal that places the state in the place of God. It's atheist by its nature. It is um, militantly atheist. It's not hiding this fact. It's not coy about this. It declares religion to be the opiate of the masses. Um, Lenin famously outlawed even all practice of Christmas, so this is why in Russia to this day you'll see New Year's as the big holiday where they decorate a New Year's tree with a red star at the top still. So they viewed Catholicism as a threat to their temporal power. The major difference is that as Catholics we understand that this world will pass away. We are in a fallen world that has been redeemed by Christ, but we store up our treasure for heaven. Communism, on the other hand, operates according to the false principle that we can create utopia here on Earth. And so this is hubristic. This is like the Tower of Babel. It's doomed to fail because, of course, it lacks the humility and understanding of the fallen nature of humanity and the omnipotence and um, power of God. And so they try to take that power that is God and God's alone, God and God's alone, and seize it as human. So. Um, One story that really illustrates this comes from Cuba, which is still communist, and um, came from a person that I interviewed who lived through this, and that is they would start to, of course, indoctrinate children early on against the, quote, dangers of religion and trying to place the state in in what had been prior um, of the role of the church. And so during elementary school, this uh, episode would play out again and again where the teachers would line up the students and tell them, stick out your hands, close your eyes, and ask God for a piece of candy. And of course, nothing would materialize. No candy would just end up in their hands. And they would wait a few minutes and let that sink in. And then the teachers who were communists would say, now ask Fidel for a piece of candy. Meaning, of course, the dictator Fidel Castro. And at that point, the teachers would go around and distribute candy. And so the message they were conveying is that the state and this cultish leader they are the ones that you can trust who will provide for your temporal needs, and God is just myth and this this fantasy figure, almost like Santa Claus, and um, that's just such a small microcosm of what happened, but it's really representative of the overall ideology. But it, but it never really worked out for him. I mean, you know, as we can see over and over again, that religion, the Catholic Church, in those particular places, win out always. So no matter how much they mm-hmm. try and indoctrinate and brainwash people, it doesn't work. You know, I, exactly, I actually a lot like, of martyrs. Yeah, Chris, and I actually like the wasn't it Karl Marx that said the opiate of the people or opiate of That's the masses. Right. So mm-hmm. I actually have twisted that a little bit to be a positive. It's like you know, people will um, use uh, look at a, a, a drug to like even let's talk about in hospitals, drugs that help them sustain through more difficult times. And so I've actually said that's kind of a backhanded compliment that religion yeah. actually sustains people more through difficult times. That's a good way of looking at it, and really the furnace of persecution actually strengthens the faith of many of the people that I talked to, because if you're living a more lukewarm existence and the faith isn't really threatened, then perhaps you won't be thinking in these terms, and you won't be dedicated so much to being able to practice and keep the faith. But in this situation where 
people who were otherwise just ordinary or maybe even somewhat reformed Catholics, especially in um, one gentleman comes to mind in the prisons of Cuba where mass they held secret masses and had to war game how to distract the guards and how to be in the correct floor at the right time to be able to do this. That really helps a person to shake themselves out of lukewarmness and um so this this sometimes can be a blessing in disguise. Okay, so here's a loaded question. Maybe it's not a loaded question, but I'm sure you've been following that Pope Francis just came back from Mongolia. That's right. So and so there was some um, uh, somebody I just saw this on even last night or this morning that somebody said uh, they were maybe they were being interviewed a young person said uh, uh, Francis save our church. Mm. Did you see that? I did not see that particular interview. No. Well, I'm just curious what I mean. What you would this? So this was not a Mongolian. This was actually somebody from the underground church in China came to okay. see him, and then they were interviewed, and they said, if they, "The question was if you could say one thing to Pope Francis, what would it be?" He he said, "Francis, save our church." What What do you mm-hmm. read into that? Yes, that is an incredibly poignant statement, and of course, the church in China is suffering, and communism has not disappeared from the face of the earth, and. In about, I think, seven countries, it is still the actual exoteric day-to-day operation of the government is still communist, not just communist-like or communist-light or socialist, like we see in various countries, but actually communist. And China is one of these perpetrators. Um, The situation with the church in China is tragic, and yes, this man is quite within his right to um, demand some action from the Holy Father beyond sort of the capitulation that has been ongoing with allowing the state to appoint bishops, which violates all Catholic principles and gives power um, that God instilled into his church to man, which is ultimately the fundamental error of communism is replacing God with man. And it's a fundamental error of Pope Francis for allowing that to happen. And and I, you know, I mean, there's there's areas of criticism for the Pope, and this is definitely one of them, how he's dealing, and from my observation, how he's dealing with China, it's, it's, it's very unfortunate. I mean, maybe you can speak a little bit to that. You're the expert here. Yes, I mean, maybe this can be something for after the break, but the situation in China mirrors what went on in most communist countries to varying degrees. So the um, the regime's strategies when it came to oppressing the church ranged from outright persecution to infiltration and trying to change the church from within gradually rather than sometimes putting everyone in a camp or arresting all of the bishops, which of course happened as well. So there's a parallel actually in Czechoslovakia, which is one of the five countries that I examined closely with um, this organization called Pachem in Paris. Um, Earlier iterations of this were called the National Church, which is similar to the National Church in China, where the state would call the shots, the state would appoint bishops that were friendly to communism and essentially apostate bishops. A small percentage, about 20% of the priests, sadly remained loyal to the state in this way. And just um, as we see in the French Revolution, too, they were called juring priests. They swore the oath of fidelity to um, the French revolutionaries. Similarly, they they swore this fidelity to communism. Um, The ones who remained loyal to the Vatican had to go underground. And after the break, we can Mm -hmm. talk about their various um, <clears throat> strategies for keeping apostolic succession alive, but that is pretty much exactly where we are with China right now. We'll do that. Uh, so, Kristen, we're talking to Kristen Van Uden, Uden, sorry, well, about her upcoming book, When the Sickle Swings, and we'll uh, continue this great conversation immediately after this very brief break. Stick with us. 
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Filippis of St. Luke Productions. The Deep Desire of the Magi Why did the Magi set off from afar to go to Bethlehem? The answer has to do with the mystery of the star which they saw in the east and which they recognized as the star of the King of the Jews, that is to say, the sign of the birth of the Messiah. So their journey was inspired by a powerful hope toward the kingship of God himself. The Magi set out because of a deep desire which prompted them to leave everything and begin a journey. This is the mystery of God's call, the mystery of vocation. It is part of the life of every Christian. When the Magi came to Bethlehem, going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Here at last was the long-awaited moment, their encounter with Jesus. Going into the house, this house in some sense represents the church. In order to find the Savior, one has to enter the house which is the church. They fell down and worshipped him and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Here is the culmination of the whole journey. Encounter becomes adoration. It blossoms into an act of faith and love which acknowledges in Jesus, born of Mary, the Son of God made man. The secret of holiness is friendship with Christ and faithful obedience to his will. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to RPR. This is Father Richard Kuntz along with Cindy Jennings coming to you from Duluth, Minnesota. We're talking to Kristen Van Uden about her upcoming book, When the Sickle Swings. A lot of us um, lived during this period of time. I was quite young, but I remember uh, Kristen growing up. The threat of the, you know, the communists, the Soviet Union was such a huge part of my life, thinking of like the Cold War turning into a hot war. So this hits really close to home for, I think, a lot of listeners that this is something that we can remember from our time as children. So uh, the, the book's coming. Why don't you say a little bit about where we can get the book? It's not out yet, but uh, speak a little bit about uh, where you can order it in advance. Sure. So the book comes out November 21st, and that's a great date because the October Revolution, which instituted communism in the Soviet Union, actually occurred in November because of the switch of calendars. So kind of an ironic, poignant month for release. Um, it's available right now for pre-order at sophiainstitute.com. So maybe you can put that link on your website. I know we sent it to you if you just search on the website as well. Um, it has a bright red cover, so it'll come right up. And you said, is this your second book you said? This first? is my first book, so I've oh, written okay. a lot of articles and um, dissertations, but <laughs> not quite a full book until now. Okay, so I do. I want. I want to speak. I know that you didn't do anything in regards to Poland with the book, at least a, a mm-hmm. in-depth study on the book. But uh, John Paul II, my he's my 
listeners think that Johnny Cash is my ultimate hero, but he's not. John Paul II <laughs> is. And, and of course, John Paul II is absolutely integral when it comes to this whole idea of the Soviet Union and communism and the freedom of the people. Can you speak a little bit about John Paul's role in this? Sure. So, first of all, it was very unique that he became Pope because, of course, many popes for centuries, even before him, had mostly been from Italy. So to have a Polish pope, and especially one during this moment in history where his country was suffering so much under this atheist yoke, um, was clearly a message from God. He is he was instrumental in the downfall of communism, of course, especially in his native Poland. Two things come to mind. His 1979 visit to his country where he kissed the ground and the people were inspired to chant in huge groups, we want God. Yep. Um, he also advocated for an independent Poland and a very um, politically tinged message that was clearly um, advocating against the, the totalitarianism of the Soviet bloc. Um, also, his involvement with Lech Walesa and the Solidarity Movement, which was an anti-communist union that, of course, um, started in the port towns of Gdańsk and Gdynia and helped to um, take back power um, communism's lie that it's for the workers and the party of the workers was clearly dismantled by this movement. Um, this kind of plays on themes that I cover in my book, because as you mentioned, I, I do not discuss Poland in the book, but I do... Why, why is that, if you don't mind my asking? It seems like Poland um, would be the... the yeah, it's basically due to the availability of interviews. So I reached out to many people from Poland, and they just um, didn't want to be included. So I did get quite a response from Czechoslovakia, though, so that kind of oriented my book in that direction. So I would love to do a sequel where I uh, profile different countries, because there's so many that were affected by communism, and because I, it can't be thousands of pages long, I only ended up profiling five. So, Kristen, uh, Kristen Cuba, could, Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Could you spell Czechoslovakia for all the listeners right now? <laughs> sure. C Z. Let's see. I have to write it don't, down. Don't look. Don't see. look. You can't look it up. I just want to... Just want to hear it. C Z E C H O S L O V A K I A. Wow, very good. That was the question. <laughs> that was your question out of left field. I just wanted to throw that oh, out there. Okay. Oh, That's that like the hardest bad. one I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it no longer exists as a country, so thousands, no, exactly. thousands won't have no, to do just this. <laughs> right. can, you, can you tell us some other stories that you have in your book about, I guess, yeah. um, Ches- I don't know, Czechoslovakia? Not sure. just Czechoslovakia, so, anywhere. but anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. Yes, yes. So now, right, it's, they call it the most amicable divorce in uh, European history. It's the Czech Republic word now, as they call it, Czechia and Slovakia. Right. <laughs> um, so one of the gentlemen I interviewed for the book was named František Mikloško. He is a pretty um, influential Slovak politician. He has run for president of that country on three separate occasions. And he was highly involved in the secret church and the underground church in Slovakia during this time, especially during the 70s with the period they call normalization, where um, the peaceful protests of Catholics especially were actually starting to hold some sway in government and politics. And so to segue from talking about John Paul II, in Slovakia we see a very similar pattern of peaceful protests by Catholics especially, as being very powerful and instrumental in the downfall of communism in those countries. And that's very hopeful because, of course, many people feel desperate and that there's nothing you can do under these systems. And um, in some countries, these revolutions were more violent. But in Slovakia, it's called the Velvet Revolution because it was so gentle. That also translates as gentle. And it really 
compared to other countries, was was not violent in that way. Of course, the communist police, um, you know, were violent towards the crowd. And also there is the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968, which I include eyewitness accounts from. So, well, didn't the leader get didn't the leader get killed? Didn't the leader get killed, too? What was that? Well, during the uh, Velvet Revolution. I don't think so. Oh, I thought that the leader... (laughs) Oh, it was Romania. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. You're Ceausescu. Ceausescu. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, the yes, voice in my head actually, told me that. All right. Yeah, I talk about um, Ceausescu in the book, too, because I interviewed someone from Romania, but that was a bit later. That was he was that was the last one of the last European um, communist countries to fall, and Ceausescu was, was really one of the, the worst and weirdest and most totalizing dictators. Um, but I'll start with Czechoslovakia. So the Velvet Revolution materialized out of this group um, of underground bishops. A little bit of background here. Pope Pius XII in 1949 wrote what are called the secret mandates, where he basically gave carte blanche to all Catholic bishops living under the Iron Curtain anywhere in the world to be able to consecrate bishops and ordain priests without specific mandates from Rome. Hmm. So as you know, Father, how this works usually is like you have to have specific permission. This is all very top-down of who actually gets to be ordained. It's a very um, controlled process. But since communication with the Vatican was completely cut off as one of the communist government's tactics to choke out the Church, this is just not possible. And so to ensure apostolic succession continued, this is the, the merciful act that the Pope took. So in Czechoslovakia, they took him up on this and started ordaining bishops. Um, Many of the bishops pre-existing when the communists took over in the aftermath of the Second World War were killed or jailed. So this was quite necessary. Even those who were secretly ordained were at constant risk of imprisonment, which many of them were. Um, So Miklosko worked closely with a secret bishop named Jan Koretz. I have a really interesting picture in the book that I'm looking at right now, so that's one of the benefits of the book. There are pictures of Koretz sitting in his apartment with this anti-eavesdropping apparatus that he constructed, which kind of looks like a horn um, that you speak through, and your listener would be sitting on the other side listening through the horn because he knew that his apartment was bugged. So if anyone has seen the movie The Lives of Others, which is about East Germany, um, you kind of get a sense for the overwhelming culture of um, basically snitching and surveillance that was, has come to define um, all communist countries. And so <clears throat> Bishop Koretz was one of these secret bishops who had to live sort of an ordinary life, too, so he had to hold jobs. He worked in a factory briefly, and all of the church's um, operations were conducted underground. Um, a woman that I interviewed from Brno, which is a Czech city within Czechoslovakia, recounts having to go to Mass in secret, and she was a child when communism took over, so she wasn't exactly sure why she had to do this, but her parents instilled in them that they had to keep their eyes down and not make eye contact with any of the other parishioners and not look around and take note of who was there, because if you were hauled in front of state security for questioning, you could, with a clear conscience, say, I don't know who was there. Hmm. I wasn't paying attention. Um, Her father was blacklisted for attending Mass, so they would go from church to church within the city for the sacraments to try to avoid all of these repercussions for practicing the faith, but of course never gave up the faith. Um, She also discusses that because of these conflicted loyalties amongst the priests, how many of them sadly capitulated to this pressure to collaborate with the state, 
you had to really kind of vet the priests that you were going to, especially for confession, because tragically, some of these Pachin and terrorist priests, the, one who, the ones who were loyal to the Czechoslovak state, would sometimes break the seal of confession in order to turn someone into the state or to maintain their good standing with the communist authorities. So she recounts the great lengths she went to to hike to other churches' confession and to keep her voice low and kind of disguise her voice sometimes. Um, so it was really quite a challenge, not only for the priests to be able to bring the sacraments to the people with all of these roadblocks, but also for the laity to determine who you could trust and where you should go. And it made organization very difficult because of the constant surveillance and the constant attempt at infiltration of these secret groups by the state. But as we see from the triumphs of the Velvet Revolution, ultimately this triumphed not only in saving souls and in continuing the church whole and inviolate, not disturbed by any communist principles, but also even in the political realm, in the sphere of worldly success, this had fruits that were born um, that ultimately led to the temporal success of freedom over communism. So it's, it's really a hopeful story, but ultimately we have to keep in mind that the salvation of souls and the fact that they kept the faith was even more important than this great political victory that they achieved. Yeah, the, I mean, just listening to you talk about all this, Kristen, makes it all the more reason to be proud to be Catholic, because the Church yeah. wins. The Church wins. And mm-hmm. these these mm-hmm. Uh, these countries that we're talking about, some of them are in the dustbin of history right now, but here we are yeah. continuing. And that's going to continue with the, the, chi- the Chinese government, the Cuban government, all these places that are still communist right now, they're going to die, and the Church will not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Amen. Any uh, any uh, last thoughts? We got about a minute, minute and a half. Any uh, any last thoughts? Oh, okay. Um, there's so many dramatic stories in the book. So uh, they range from people who were freedom fighters at the Bay of Pigs. So I got to go to Miami and interview Bay of Pigs survivors. Um, and uh, the Czech lady that I talked about also had a showdown with a Soviet tank during the invasion of that country by the Soviets in 1968. So there's lots of these dramatic stories that I will leave to the reader to discover, to look forward to. But also the through line here is, again, just keeping the faith and holding on to your soul is the greatest form of resistance possible. So um, many people that I interviewed discussed either turning off the radio during the propaganda hours or not having the radio, in the case of Romania, not having a TV or praying the rosary while Ceausescu had his four-hour daily rant. And so one lesson for me was just keeping custody and control over your mind, maintaining your independent thinking and maintaining your personal devotion to the church and practice of the sacraments. Even if you feel that you are completely powerless to affect political change, that itself is a victory, and that is all God will ask of you. Amen. Thank you very much, Kristen. Uh, the book is When the Sickle Swings. It's at Sophia Press. You can pre-order it now, get the book, and put it on the bestsellers list. Thank you, and God bless you for your work. Thank you. God bless. All right, God bless. When we get back, we are going to have a phenomenally interesting interview. You'll just have to hold on and listen for what that is after the break. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
Hello, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. We're grateful for the support of our small business from listeners in the Fargo-Moorhead area. At Lumen Vision, we offer eye exams, vision therapy services, contact lenses, and glasses from popular brands like Oakley, Ray-Ban, Kate Spade, and Eyes of Faith. Lumen Vision accepts many vision and medical insurances, but you don't need insurance to experience high-quality, affordable, Christ-centered eye care from our team. You can learn more about our mission at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. This is Father Bo Braun from the Diocese of Duluth. It's my second year anniversary as a priest today, so I figured it's a good time to talk a little bit about priesthood and my favorite part about being a priest. You know, it's intense because you just think about where the priest stands. The priest stands, he stands in the place of Jesus Christ. He stands in between the people and God. And uh, that place is a, there's an intensity of life and there's an intensity of love there. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, I think the best times as a priest are those moments where God lets you feel that intensity. You know, so the mass, I would say, is the, is the highest point, obviously, because in the mass, it's the, it's the most intense prayer from the Son to the Father, and I'm caught up in the middle of that. But yet, I, I give all of that love then to the people, and uh, all through my, my ordinary and, and very little heart. As you think about your future, there is one more thing you can do to add certainty to your life. Write or update your will and estate plan. If you pass away without a plan, all you have worked for in life, financially and emotionally, will be decided and divided by someone you may have never met before. We have some tools to help you in your planning. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call Mike at 701-290-4503. 